A highly anticipated report finally dropped yesterday from no less than the former acting attorney general of the United States. Sally Yates detailed the failures and the toxicity of the National Women's Soccer League after a year-long investigation. A culture of abuse, silence, and fear of retaliation perpetuated the misconduct. In this environment, many players and team staff members have believed that reporting misconduct would be futile and it would actually be detrimental to their careers. Normalization of this conduct allowed teams, the league and the federation to ignore their respective responsibilities of addressing abusive conduct. That conduct and the NWSL's refusal to address it happened to be the focus of both the episode you are about to hear and a new E60 film. Truth be told, the fight for women's professional soccer that's been in the works for months now. And so we should note that today's show contains depictions of sexual coercion and abuse. Jennifer Carson Strauss, we're here to discuss a specific year inside the National Women's Soccer League that is really just unlike anything else that's happened in a professional sports league that I can recall. And the film you directed about it for E60 with Lisa Salter's reporting, it begins at one very specific moment. So what was it and when was it? Yeah, October 6th, 2021, almost a year ago, all games across the country in the National Women's Soccer League stopped play in the sixth minute, which had never been done before. You know, I think a lot of people at that time were wondering what was going on. It was a moment that grabbed national headlines, not just in sports, but across the nation. As that sixth minute approaches and every woman on the field knows what's gonna happen in that sixth minute, the referee blows the whistle. Do you have a whistle on the field? We wondered what we might see tonight. And players from both teams, including from the benches, enter to the center circle and all join arms. You can see players from both teams arm in arm linked. They're all moving to the center circle together right now. Not just with their own teammates, but with the other team who they're playing against to have this moment of solidarity. Every player from both teams in the middle of the field I think you can see, you can feel the weight of this statement, this moment for the players. When you asked the players involved in that coordinated moment, what did they remember thinking about? What were they hoping to do as they remembered it? They were nervous. And there was a lot of emotions, whether you had been directly affected or not by any sort of abuse, verbal, emotional, sexual, you were feeling the pain of what was happening in this league. Women felt fed up and just disgusted and ready to put their foot down. These women were standing up for long overdue change. 
The fallout from the abuse scandal rocking the National Women's Soccer League. We see over and over again what's referred to as a culture of silence. This now makes three coaches total. The National Women's Soccer League has fired in its ranks for misconduct. They want to have trust in management. They want to have trust in coaches. And they haven't had that. There was systemic abuse issues happening in the league, and it wasn't just that year. It had been going on for a long time. And in the NWSL, we had reported and found out that there was this culture of silence that had existed. And this was a moment where these women decided, we're not going to take this anymore. Maybe you heard that there were issues in the National Women's Soccer League, or maybe you glimpsed the scene we just described online somewhere, and you got some sense of how disturbing those issues might be. But today, one year later to the week, we take you inside what really happened at the epicenter of that scandal, how the people in power tried to get away with it, and how the truth finally came to light. I'm Pablo Torre. It's Tuesday, October 4th. This is ESPN Daily. So, Jen, before we get back to what happened in 2021, this year that the film focused on, I do want to just jump back in time with you to establish context because the NWSL, the National Women's Soccer League, it is not the first organized attempt at women's pro soccer in the United States, right? I mean, there is a history here in America of attempts to make this sport work. How would you describe it? Yeah, Pablo, that was one of the things that was really important to us is we were putting this together was to not just jump into the NWSL, but to really give viewers context to the history of women's professional soccer. We wanted to understand how we got here. And in order to do that, we needed to go backwards over 20 years. The U.S. Women's National Team is where we start. They had won the Women's World Cup in 91, which nobody really remembers at all. It wasn't broadcasted. But then in 99, everybody remembers the 99ers. Welcome, everyone, to the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, California. It was July 10th, 1999, a very hot day at the Rose Bowl. A sold-out crowd, over 90,000 people. A record crowd for not just women's soccer, but a women's sporting event. And so it really was this watershed moment where Brandi Chastain scores the game-winning penalty kick. The USA could win the World Cup on this next kick. Chastain will take it. Go! The United States has won the Women's World Cup. And U.S. beats China, and the women are on top of the world. And after that, you know, women's professional soccer, having a league seemed like a no-brainer. Investors saw the potential and they decide to really get behind this and support what is going to be known as the WUSA. They start play in, in April 
of 2001, and they have a pretty large budget, $40 million, which is supposed to last them five seasons. Hmm. And it doesn't. It only lasts three. The league fails, and it's it's devastating for the players. And so for six years, there's no league in, in the United States. And eventually, they start a new league called the WPS, Women's Professional Soccer, and they take a completely different approach, more of a grassroots approach. They're going to have really low salaries, really low budgets, and that ends up not being quite successful either. And so the WSA lasts for three years. The WPS lasts three years. And so the NWSL is formed when under what kind of sort of ambition? Ironically, shortly after the WPS folds, three months later, the U.S. women's national team goes on to win gold at the London Olympics. And U.S. soccer is looking around saying, we need to continue to be on top of the world. How do we do that? We need these women to play year-round. And so U.S. soccer decides to get behind what is going to be called the National Women's Soccer League in 2012. So the NWSL in its infancy was... Like what, Jen? How different was it from the previous attempts at doing this? It was actually pretty similar in terms of the standards, but the size of the salaries were still quite small. The minimum salary in the NWSL for a player was actually $6,000. And that's for a full year. That same year, the federal poverty line was determined to be at $11,500. Man. And so what do you do, Jen, if you're a women's soccer player making annually less than the federal poverty line about what amounts to pretty embarrassing conditions here? These women just wanted to play at the end of the day. That was the thing that was most important to them. And even though they're going to be barely making any money at all to survive, they're choosing to pursue this career simply because they love the game. the NWSL was really looked at as the last chance for women's professional soccer. They needed this to survive. And so they were going to do and tolerate whatever it took in order to continue to play. Because if they didn't, they weren't going to have a chance to play anywhere. Those are the stakes for the NWSL broadly, but individually in this film, we get to meet a player named Mana Shim. When did Mana join the league? What kind of a player was she? Mana joined the league in the inaugural season in 2013. She played at Santa Clara, a powerhouse school on the West Coast, and she ends up going undrafted to the Portland Thorns. I felt like just so fortunate that I ended up in that position where I was even able to like play professionally. She's this player who's very feisty and tenacious. She's a playmaker. It was so exciting. It was the biggest stage I'd ever played on. And it was just so fun. At the end of the 2013 season, Mana's actually voted newcomer of the year because of her performance. And she's a fan favorite in Portland. And so in her second season, here comes... The Portland Thorns' new coach, a man named Paul Riley, and his reputation at the time was what exactly? Paul Riley was somebody who everybody knew in the women's soccer community. For the second consecutive season, Paul Riley was named the WPS Coach of the Year. 
He was very respected. He was a coach that won. And that's what Portland wanted to bring into their system. On the field, they've been dynamic in uh, uh, stretches in preseason. And, you know, we've all looked at each other and go, wow, if we can just produce this on opening day, it would be great for the club. Paul Riley was somebody who his way of coaching was to control. We talked to several players who played for Paul Riley who said that he needed to control every situation, every conversation. Players weren't really welcome to give feedback. As long as Paul was in control, that was how he saw they were going to win. Did the players who worked for Paul Riley have a sense of the ways in which that personality could be problematic in any way? Paul was not an easy coach to play for. On top of the control, he would berate players. You know, we were told if somebody played bad in a game, he would tell them that they were a terrible mother. He would scream at them. And then the next practice, he would be lifting them up. So it was this really difficult power imbalance that players felt where they were walking on eggshells, where they felt the need to please Paul Riley in order to play. And I think, Pablo, at the end of the day, people from the outside just knew that he won. That is really all that matters. How he did it and the way in which he did it didn't matter as much. And so what was Manashim's experience with Paul Riley from the inside at the beginning when he first arrives in Portland as a coach with this reputation and all of this success behind him? Before Manashim even meets her new head coach, Paul Riley, she gets traded to the Houston Dash, which is an expansion team in the NWSL. And she reaches out to Paul Riley to ask him to please keep her in Portland. I thought about leaving and and how disappointed I would be to leave and, and start over in Houston. So I thought, okay, I have to take some initiative and tell Portland that I want to stay and see if it can get worked out. So I called Paul and said, hey, I want to stay on the team. Is there any way you can try to work to get me back? She actually tells us that this was sort of unheard of for a player to speak up and say that they wanted to be somewhere, that they wanted to stay, that they, that they wanted anything. And so Paul Riley says that he's going to try. So he does end up keeping Mana there in Portland. And she says something to us that I'll never forget. She says that, If he was going to keep me, I knew that I should just be grateful. I appreciated that he said he would try. Um, And I thought, wow, if this really works out, like, I better work hard and prove myself again and and be grateful. Be grateful. What do you mean? I mean, I felt like I was asking for a favor at that point. And if they were going to honor that and take me back, I felt like I owed him something. And so in terms of the line between work and personal life, how does that get blurred or changed by this unfolding now dynamic? At this time, Mana wasn't playing a ton. And so, you know, shortly thereafter, she's asking Paul how she can get more playing time. And he recommends to her that she should start training with her teammate Sinead Fairley. And so she does that. And... From there, she does end up getting more playing time. 
she's starting alongside Alex Morgan. She's scoring goals. And she's getting texted a lot more by Paul Riley. I felt like he was really invested in me. And I thought that's why he was contacting me more, right? Because, like, you have to be in touch with your starters. I thought that was pretty normal until he started doing things like texting and meddling in my personal life. Meddling in your personal life in what way? He just wanted to know what you were doing with your life outside of soccer. And he wasn't just that way with me. He was that way with a number of players on the team. He wanted to know about your family. And in, in some ways, it seems like, oh, this guy really cares about me beyond just soccer. But at a certain point, it does begin to cross the line. And so you mentioned Sinead Fairley, who is her teammate, now her training partner at the recommendation, personally of Paul Riley. And there's an incident that you depict in the film about a night out with Mana and Sinead and Paul Riley and the whole team. How did that night start? It was not uncommon that Paul Riley would go out drinking with the team. He was sort of known for that. After this game against the Washington Spirit, Mana actually scores in that game. They tie at Providence Park, and the team all decides to go out to a bar after the game. At the bar is not only members of the team, but Paul Riley and some members of the coaching staff. Paul Riley puts down his card and offers to buy the team as many drinks as they want. They have a long night out, and as players start trickling back to go their separate ways, the last ones left at the bar are Paul Riley, Mana Shim, Sinead Fairley, and assistant coach Skip Thorpe. How does Mana describe what happened after that? They're looking for a bathroom after they leave the bar, and they can't find one because it's 2 o'clock in the morning and nothing is open. And so Paul Riley, who actually lives right across from the stadium, offers for them to use his bathroom because it's right there. So they all go up together to the apartment. Assistant coach Skip Thorpe is the first one to use the restroom. He then leaves, and it's just Paul Riley, Monashim, and Sinead Fairley left alone in his apartment. At that point, after they use the restroom, Paul Riley doesn't really allow them to leave easily. Paul had opened some drinks and turned on music and was like, come hang out a little bit. And I I felt uncomfortable. He was like, come on, come dance with me. And I remember he like grabbed me and put his arms around me and it was kind of like feeling me up. After that moment, Mana and Sinead look at each other and they know they're in an uncomfortable situation. They're in a difficult position because this is still their coach. This is still the person who controls their careers and their lives. Right. They don't want to say no to him. And they realize that they need to get out of there. So at this point, they're trying to leave. And Paul Riley asks them if they've ever kissed. He knows that they're both in same-sex relationships with different partners and he's asking them, have you guys kissed? I, I room you guys together. I know you must have kissed at some point. And they think that he's joking at first. And then after he continues to press the question, they realize that he's not joking. 
And somehow it got put on the table that if we kissed in front of him, our team wouldn't have to run our fitness test that week, which was a suicide mile. Everyone hated it. It was the worst fitness test ever. And at that point we were like, well, we're best friends and we're not interested in each other. We're leaving, right? We're walking out the door. Well, whatever, we'll kiss. So they oblige and they kiss. They're able then to leave the apartment and they have this moment in the lobby with each other where they're like, I can't believe that just happened. And they try to forget that it even did. I felt gross about it. I was really like, I felt like I, I compromised a little bit of myself. I was ashamed. I was really embarrassed. And I, I told Sinead that, and she was also like, yeah, never again. But I also was kind of like, well, I get to play another day. And so what happened next as Mana recalls it now? Well, first, that next day at practice, they show up. The team is prepared to run the suicide mile. And Paul Riley says they're not going to run it. And Mana and Sinead, of course, in the back of their heads, they know why. After that, the harassment from Paul only continues. And it actually intensifies. He continues to text Mana even more. He's texting her explicit photos of himself. He offers to fly Mana to watch the World Cup in 2015 and only sends a receipt, though, for one bedroom and one bed. Mana explains it to us that that this harassment just continued even more. And the moment that really changes everything for Mana is in June 2015. She is with the team. They're on a, an away trip. And Paul Riley invites Mana to review film in his hotel room. It's late at night. When she gets to the door, Paul Riley opens the door. He's standing behind it. And as she begins to enter the room, she realizes that he's in nothing but his underwear. And I saw that he was just in his underwear. And he told me to get on his bed and watch film. But there was no film pulled up. And at that moment, I was just planning my exit. I was terrified. I knew at that point that I had to find a way out and I was not willing to compromise myself for my career or for this person. That was the turning point for me when I decided I was gonna, I was gonna say no to him. What does Mana decide to do next? Well, Pablo, after this, she's shooken up. She has made this decision for herself that she's no longer going to allow Paul Riley to have this control over her. And so what she does next is she confides in her teammate Sinead Fairley. She tells her family, but she also tells another teammate, Alex Morgan. Alex and Mana are really close. Not only were they playing on the same team, they also were a tandem forward duo. They were 
having success on the field and they really became best friends. And so when Mana confides in Alex Morgan that this behavior has been going on by Paul Riley, Alex is devastated. It was really hard to see like a teammate going through what Mana was going through in 2015 because first of all, I had never personally experienced that before, but I also had, I never had a teammate experience that and confide in me in the way that she did. And all I wanted to do was support Mana. She expresses to Mana that she's there for her and that whatever she needs, if she never wants to talk about it again, she'll respect that. But also, if she decides that she wants to report this, Alex is going to help her with that. And so the conversation around reporting this, how does that unfold? It's really difficult for them, Pablo, because... Mana does decide that she wants to report this. And it's not just for her. She wants to do this so that other women now or in the future aren't having to deal with this harassment either. So as Mana and Alex are looking for a way to anonymously report this, they learn that there is no way. It's really difficult for them to find anybody, Pablo. They search near and far to try to find anybody at the league level, within the team, who works in HR, who they can report this to. There's no anti-harassment policy that they can find. There's no anti-discrimination policy that they can find. But eventually, Alex Morgan is able to track down an HR contact within the Portland Thorns organization. And she gives that contact information to Mana Shim. Once Mana receives the contact information, she sends an email to the HR contact, and she also CCs on that email Gavin Wilkinson, who is the Portland Thorns general manager, Merritt Paulson, who is the Portland Thorns team owner, and she CCs Jeff Plush, who is the commissioner of the NWSL at the time, and she also CCs Paul Riley on that email. Mm. And so once this is brought to their collective attention, what happens to Paul Riley as a result? Mana does receive an email back pretty quickly from the HR contact within the Portland Thorns organization saying to stop talking to Paul Riley and that they are going to open an investigation. They said all the right things. And the league said, we understand and we're going to leave it up to Portland to investigate. They interview a number of people, Alex Morgan included. I was interviewed, I believe, for 15 or 20 minutes, such a short interview that I actually can't even recollect the questions from the interview. Mana and Sinead were also interviewed for about that same duration of time. And shortly thereafter, the Thorns decide that they are going to put out a statement and that the team is parting ways with Riley. From the outside, this is looked to be a result of not great results on the field. And that is because Gavin Wilkinson and Merritt Paulson never actually say in the statement that there has been an investigation, that there has been any claims of sexual harassment or abuse. They actually thank Paul Riley for his services to the club. Shortly thereafter, Mana Shim is put on loan to a Japanese club. Sinead Fairley is traded to the Boston Breakers all the way across the country. Mm. And Paul Riley's fate is quite different. 
he ends up getting a new NWSL head coaching job with the Western New York Flash, in part thanks to the positive recommendation from the Portland Thorns general manager, Gavin Wilkinson. So Mana gets shipped overseas. Sinead is sent across the country. Riley himself, he lands a new head coaching gig, thanks in part, it sounds like, to the Thorns' front office. Jen, how does his stint with the Western New York Flash go? Once he takes over with the Western New York Flash, the team wins a championship. Western New York Flash can now call themselves NWSL champions. And in 2017, shortly thereafter, they get relocated to Cary, North Carolina, and they become the Courage. Mm. And from there, Paul Riley really begins to build this dynasty in North Carolina with this team who is completely bought in to the Paul Riley way and thinks that this is how it's supposed to be in order to win. And so while Paul Riley is becoming the leader of a dynasty in the NWSL, where is Manishim's soccer career at this point? At this point, after Paul Riley has moved on to the NC Courage, he's winning championship after championship. Mana Shim's career is going in the complete opposite direction. She's not really able to ever come back from the player that she was in Portland. Her confidence is at a different level. She's been bounced around teams. By 2019, after having a short stint with the Houston Dash, Mana Shim is done playing soccer. Her career is over. And so she decides to pursue law school. She goes back to Hawaii, where she's from, and tries to forget about everything that has happened. And that is until she receives a call from her former teammate, Sinead Fairley. That call changes everything. Mana Shim picks up the phone after the break. Delicious meat, nutritious. In the snack that packs a real protein punch, wonderful pistachios, one of the highest protein nuts out there. Each one ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Trust me, I've been eating them like there's no tomorrow all week. Wonderful pistachios also come in a variety of flavors and sizes, perfect for enjoying with your family and friends or taking them with you on the go. And you, like me, are on the go a lot taking the kids to school, hopping from meeting to meeting, shopping for groceries, whatever it may be. Well, the good news is not only are Wonderful Pistachios a complete protein providing all nine essential amino acids, they're also great for all your adventures. So whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snack game today. Visit WonderfulPistachios.com to learn more. So now it's 2020, Jen, and Manishim has gotten this call while she's at home in Hawaii. And the call is from Sinead Farrelly, her old teammate, her friend. What did Sinead tell her? Sinead is nervous on the phone as Mana describes it. 
she one day calls me and was like, Mona, I have something really important to tell you, and I hope you're not upset with me. She just said, it's about my relationship with Paul, and a lot of things happened, and I didn't tell anyone. Sinead fairly tells Mana that dating back to 2010, when she started playing professional soccer in the WPS uh, under Paul Riley with the Philadelphia Independence, she alleges that Paul Riley had coursed her into sex on three separate occasions. And Mana is just stunned. And she's devastated. And I just, like, was heartbroken for her. She felt like it was her fault. And Paul put it on her that she wanted this. Sinead tells Mana that she had experienced so many of the same things that Mana did. The moment she told me, I was like, we both were like, we have to do something about this. Even though both Mana and Sinead are out of professional soccer at this point, they know that Paul Riley is still in it. He's still coaching in North Carolina. And that nobody knows of this behavior from him and that he might be doing this to other players. And maybe these other players don't feel comfortable to speak up either. And so they decide to take matters into their own hands. They get a team of lawyers who are able to ask them, you know, where are the policies in the NWSL? Was there ever an anti-harassment policy? They need to track down that Paul Riley was breaking these policies. And so Mana and Sinead then both turn to executive director of the National Women's Soccer League Players Association, Megan Burke. So Megan Burke then takes it into her own hands and she tries to track down an anti-harassment policy. I just assumed there was one and I couldn't find it. She calls then commissioner at the time, Lisa Baird, to ask her if there's a policy. And even though Lisa Baird claims that there was one, to this day, Megan Burke has never received a copy of the league's anti-harassment policy. I'd asked for it every format. I asked for it over the phone and emails, um, every chance I got. I can, to this day, I've never received a copy of the anti-harassment policy that we asked for at least a dozen or more times. So it doesn't exist. And if it does, it's in someone's head and it's completely useless. So it is important to note here that Lisa Baird was not the commissioner of the league back in 2015 when this misconduct took place. But Lisa Baird does have the power to investigate this, Jen. So... What does Mana decide to do next? Mana Shim emails Lisa Baird, and she tells her, I have this complaint. She forwards the complaint from 2015, and she requests that Lisa Baird reach back out to her. I sent the first email and said, this is something that happened to me that I'm concerned about. This coach is still coaching in the league. I don't feel like it's safe, and I'm open for a phone call or interview if you'd like to talk. She gets a response that was surprising to her from Lisa Baird. I sent an email and I got pretty much an immediate response that said, I've looked into this and it's been investigated to conclusion. Thank you for being so courageous. I'd like to meet you if we're ever in the same city. And I was like, you want to get coffee at some point? (laughs) What? That's how you respond to this? There's no interest in 
oh, maybe I should look into the details of what happened. She cannot believe that after sending in this formal complaint, raising the issue again, that she can't even get a phone call. I never got a phone call. Call me and ask me what happened. It's not that hard. After Lisa Baird responds to Mana and says, essentially, thank you, we're all good here, Sinead Fairley decides to also email Commissioner Lisa Baird. She sends a very similar email raising concerns that Paul Riley should really be investigated and that there was a formal complaint done in 2015 that there was very inappropriate behavior towards Sinead Fairley, misconduct. So Sinead also sums up the email at the end by saying, I'm available for an interview or a phone call. Please contact me so that we can speak further about this. And Sinead gets the same response back. Clearly, these communications, these complaints are not getting the attention or the response that they deserve at this point. And so what do Mana and Sinead decide to do here? Because it sounds like they are exhausting all of the league's internal avenues. That's exactly right, Pablo. They're trying to do it in a way that doesn't cause controversy in the league. They're trying to take this to the right people and go about this in the right steps and give the league the opportunity to do the right thing. And after they are thoroughly rebuffed time and time again, Mana and Sinead decide that they have no other choice but to go to the media. They reach out to Meg Linehan of The Athletic, a senior writer who's been covering the women's game for a really long time to tell this story. And on September 30th, 2021, Meg Linehan drops the story from The Athletic on Paul Riley detailing multiple cases of sexual abuse, sexual coercion, and sexual harassment. Once this article comes out, Pablo, it rocked the NWSL. Now, this all stems from allegations in The Athletic accusing North Carolina Courage head coach Paul Riley of making unwanted sexual advances. One of the most successful coaches in NWSL history stands accused by multiple former players. It details all of the failures from the league and all the ways in which Mana and Sinead for six years had tried to do the right thing, had tried to tell their story and to make sure that this abuse didn't continue and that many people knew about it and were covering it up this whole entire time. After this article comes out, the North Carolina Courage have no choice. They fire him that day. We'll be right back. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with the smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. 
every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home some huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. So, Jen, the allegations against Paul Riley are finally out there now. The public, the world knows about it. The athletic story has been published. The NWSL is consequently getting a lot of questions. And I want to return here to Lisa Baird, who, again, was the commissioner of the NWSL that year, whose inaction chronicled by Mana and Sinead convinced them to go public in the first place. And so what was Lisa Baird's reaction when the athletic story dropped? There's a lot of statements that are put out that day, but the one that most people remember is the one from Commissioner Lisa Baird. She reacts on social media. She puts out a statement saying that she was, quote, shocked and disgusted to hear the new allegations that are in the athletic article. And that really does not sit well with people because she was given the full opportunity to do something about this. On multiple occasions, Pablo, we actually sat down with Lisa Baird. It was the first time that she has ever talked about this on camera or otherwise since this story dropped, since these allegations became public. Our reporter, Lisa Salters, sat down with her and asked her what she thought when this story came out. I'd like to ask you now about Paul Riley. When did you first hear of any allegation uh, about misconduct against Paul Riley? Uh, you know, I can't really, I mean, you know, I, I can't really speak to it. What I will tell you is that on September 30th, um, there was an article that was published in The Athletic. In that article were a number of accusations about Paul Riley. And that was the first time that I heard of an accusation of sexual abuse. I was horrified. I was horrified. Uh, it was nothing that I had um, heard before. I had heard some things about Paul Riley, but they did not have anything to do with sexual abuse of a player. Nothing. It was something that um, was his own private business as a private citizen, and um, I'd never heard any of the accusations. And she actually doubles down on that by saying that this was the first time that she had ever heard of any allegations of sexual abuse against Paul Riley by any players. No one came forward with anything specific until that athletic article. The emails that had been sent to the NWSL, two former players told you about this and nothing happened. I will tell you again that the specific accusations that were in the athletic article were nothing I had heard before. 
I, I just have to just repeat that. Um, if, you know, I don't know if the emails that the players had sent to me are public or not. Alex Morgan is expecting Lisa Baird to stand up and say, I didn't look into this far enough. I'm sorry. But the fact that she doesn't really pushes Alex Morgan to take this into her own hands. I wanted so deeply for Lisa Baird to just stand up and say, I'm sorry. I didn't do enough. But she didn't. She said she was shocked and disgusted. And that that was surprising because that was a lie. So she jumps on a group text. I got on a group text, one that was very active between Mana, Sinead, and our legal and strategy team. And we talked about what needed to happen. And a tweet was the best course of action for that. And she tweets out the emails where Lisa Baird actually did receive these allegations directly from the players months prior to the athletic story. Yeah, I mean, Alex Morgan's tweet, she says the league was informed of these allegations multiple times, refused multiple times to investigate the allegations. The league must accept responsibility for a process that failed to protect its own players from this abuse. And then you get the screenshots just in full clarity. And those screenshots suggest what? That there's no reason that Lisa Baird should be shocked or disgusted or horrified because she, in writing not only was given a heads up, but she was also asked to look into it further and to call Mana and Sinead, in which case you see in those screenshots that Lisa Baird never picks up the phone. Once Alex Morgan puts out this tweet, Lisa Baird decides to put out another statement. And she says that she is sorry for the role that she played and that she's sorry for the pain that so many are feeling. And that same exact day that Alex Morgan tweets out the email exchanges between Mana, Sinead, and Lisa Baird, Lisa Baird resigns. Commissioner of the National Women's Soccer League, Lisa Baird resigning. Baird saying in a statement, this week and much of this season has been incredibly traumatic for our players and staff, and I take full responsibility for the role I've played. And so you have Lisa Baird in front of you for this film for the first time, and you get the opportunity to directly confront her with all of this evidence. What does she say about herself when she looks back at how she handled all of this? Our reporter Lisa Salters does ask Lisa Baird. What did you think when you saw Alex Morgan's tweet that what she posted on social media saying, yes, the NWSL knew? I um, remember I joined the league in... Uh, in March of 2020, um, the accusations and the allegations that were in the athletic article and in Alex Morgan's tweet happened five, ten years before I was at the league. Lisa Salters does give her the opportunity to say, if you could do anything differently, what would you do? If you could go back and do anything differently, what would you do? You kind of like take that private moment yourself and you kind of ask yourself, did you do the right thing with the information you had at the time? And I'm pretty clear that I did. At any time, did you ignore any allegations against a coach or coaches? No. If something was brought to me, I followed up on it. 
players that we spoke to are still to this day shocked that Lisa Baird responded the way that she did, that there was no accountability. We obviously have different ideas of what it means to follow up on an allegation. And if that was her response to following up and doing her job, I mean, it's quite frankly disgusting to me. So Lisa Baird resigns in the fall of 2021. But in terms of the players who feel betrayed by this entire saga, where does that leave them? What's the next step there? So after these allegations become public on September 30th, 2021, things have been completely flipped upside down for these players. And the players come together and they say, there is no way that we can play this weekend. The National Women's Soccer League has suspended all of its weekend matches amid allegations of abuse, including sexual abuse of players by former coaches. All of the NWSL games across the country are canceled. In the same period of time, Pablo, there's also multiple investigations that are launched. The NWSL, along with the NWSL Players Association, decides to launch an independent investigation into the allegations, the misconduct, and the workplace environment, not only within the Courage, but all NWSL teams across the league. And additionally, U.S. Soccer, who managed the league up until 2020, and that's when U.S. Soccer decides to bring on Sally Yates to lead this independent investigation. Right. This is the news that dropped yesterday. These are the headlines that spread across the sports world and beyond because Sally Yates, again, the former acting U.S. Attorney General, finally releases this report that everybody had been anticipating. And what she found was this, quote, a league in which abuse was systemic, verbal and emotional abuse and sexual misconduct occurred at multiple teams, was perpetrated by several coaches and affected many players, end quote. And one of the coaches whose conduct is detailed in this report is the man we've talked about, Paul Riley, and his response to all of these charges since they've emerged. What has that been, Jen? Were you able to talk to him for this film? Yeah, Pablo, in The Athletic, they were actually able to get an email response from Paul Riley. He did respond to the allegations. He said that the majority of them are, quote, completely untrue. And he said that he has never, quote, had sexual relations with any of these players. When we started pursuing this story, after these allegations had come to light, I actually was able to track down Paul Riley's phone number. And I messaged him over text and asked if he would be willing to speak with me. And he actually agreed. He said that he would be open to a phone call and wanted to speak further. But every time push came to shove, Paul Riley never showed up. Ultimately, Paul Riley did decline E60's request for an interview. And so this is how we arrive back where we started this show, Jen, with October 6, 2021, and the scenes unfolding across the country at midfield. And you had mentioned before that this was something happening at the six-minute mark. That was the specific time. Why six? Executive Director Megan Burke of the NWSLPA told us that all of the players met prior to this match happening across the league. And so that's when players, along with the Players Association, decided that they didn't want to do something before the game. They didn't want to do something after the game. They wanted to halt play 
in the middle of the match. They came to the number six because it had been six years since Mana and Sinead had come forward. For six years, Mana and Sinead were silenced. That is why the players decide that we are going to specifically stop play in the sixth minute. There is purpose behind that number. What was it like for you, Jen, as you were watching that moment play out in real time? It really was something that was hitting close to home for me. That's where the pitch for this film begins, Pablo. I remember exactly where I was at. I was on my couch and I saw this happening and I couldn't believe it. It was emotional, I'll be honest, because I've played soccer my whole life. I've played collegiately against a lot of the women that currently play in the National Women's Soccer League. I've played with them. So as this moment was unfolding and these games were stopping, you could see on the players' faces the emotion. Being on the pitch was the last place that they wanted to be, but they knew that they needed to be there and that they needed to be there together and embrace each other, two opposite teams battling against each other in the playoff hunt. In that moment, soccer was the last thing that mattered to them. And that is when I realized that this story really needed to be told. Jennifer Carson Strauss, thank you for telling us this story. Pablo, thanks so much for having me. A quick postscript. By the end of the NWSL's 2021 season, five of the league's 10 head coaches and one of the league's GMs were fired or forced to resign over allegations of misconduct. And during that 2021 offseason, players successfully fought for a new collective bargaining agreement, one that raised wages and introduced free agency and instituted basic workplace protections like parental leave and improved health and safety programs. All while the league added two new franchises this year and plans to add two more in 2024. And you should know that while we now have the results of the U.S. soccer Sally Yates investigation, another independent investigation commissioned jointly by the NWSL and the Players Union is still ongoing. You can watch Truth Be Told, the fight for women's professional soccer tonight, Tuesday, October 4th, at 7 p.m. Eastern on ESPN and ESPN+. I'm Pablo Torre. This has been ESPN Daily. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.